Greetings Arlington. Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. My name is Ed Mellick and I'm sad to say that I'm working solo today without my co-host Sal Dietry. We are pre-recording our first guest appearance in the field, so I'm doing the interview solo. But the good news is we have a great guest today. I'm joined by Steve Park, the founder and executive director of Little Lights, a DC-based nonprofit that provides services to underserved youth and their families in Washington, DC. Over 20 years, Little Lights has grown from Steve tutoring children at his parents' store in DC to an organization with 13 full-time and 40 part-time staff, 120 weekly volunteers, and 45 adults who meet with and mentor kids one-on-one -on, -one on weekends. We're chatting today at Little Lights offices located at 767th Street Southeast. Steve, thanks for hosting me and welcome to Grace in 30. Well, thanks for having me and thanks for coming. Steve, why don't we kick off with you giving us a little bit of background on how you got involved with working with youth in DC. Sure. Um, you know, when I was in college, you know, I was a very devout atheist, and so I didn't, you know, believe in the existence of God. Um, but after college, I moved back to the D.C. area where I went to high school and went through a pretty dramatic um, existential kind of experience. I had a, a very bad drug experience after college where I went through tremendous amounts of fear and, um, and just went through a lot of spiritual warfare. And here I was an atheist and going through this really um, difficult time, didn't know where to look for answers. Um, a book that actually helped me start going the right direction was a book called The Road Less Traveled. And um, I remember the first sentence of the book was, life is difficult. And what I was going through was so difficult and so painful and so frightening, um, it kind of grabbed my attention. And so after reading the book, I decided to see a therapist to try to learn how to be more vulnerable because um, I realized that I needed to learn how to love and uh, that I didn't know, you know what love really was. And um, so I was searching, and then I had a powerful experience of compassion through my sister. This was New Year's Eve of 1993, where I was telling her I was losing the will to live. I was really depressed and frightened. And she just embraced me physically. Uh, and for 30 straight minutes, I just wept and mm -hmm. just bawled my eyes out for 30 straight minutes in her arms, no words exchanged. But it was a real powerful experience of compassion, acceptance, um, really of grace. Mm -hmm. And it changed my outlook on the world. I realized that more important than making money or getting famous or, you know, having status was really compassion and love. And um, a, few, a few months later after this experience, my parents convinced me to attend a church out in Maryland. It was a Korean American church. When I heard the sermon, I really felt like I was in the right place. And, um, and around the same time I was going through my own changes, I met kids in a low-income neighborhood because my parents... Uh, who are you know small business owners they started a second business a taekwondo studio and it was in a lower income neighborhood and so I started working there and helping out there and just fell in love with these kids and um, it gave me a lot of joy and a lot of just motivation because I just saw the potential in them and also the love that they had for for me and for others but also saw that there was a lot of need so I started spending time with kids eventually um, became a Christian uh, after reading a book called World Religions, and I was really moved by the compassion, kind of the radical compassion of Christ, and made a commitment to follow Jesus. And so, for me, becoming a Christian meant I had to live compassionately. I had to really care about people, and I had to care especially about the weakest people in our world. 
And uh, so I, after I started spending time with kids, I wanted to work with them year-round and so started a, a Christian tutoring program and called it Little Lights. And someone came by and saw a newspaper article on my dad's Taekwondo studio. She helped get it started. And so that's how Little Lights got it. We did a yard sale, raised a few hundred dollars, and uh, started this Christian tutoring program inside my parents' business. And so that was 20, over 20 years ago. Yeah, it's amazing because tw <laughs> 20 years is you really have sustained over a long period of time, which is really nice. Yes. Where did the name Little Lights come from? Yeah, as, you know, um, as I was thinking about what to call the program, I definitely wanted something related to light because I had gone through such a dark period and I was you know, wrestling with a lot of fear, but then experienced this powerful compassion and learned who Jesus was and realized this, he brought this great love and hope and it really was like a light in the darkness. So I, I knew I wanted that imagery and so I thought, oh, maybe lamppost or light stand. And mm -hmm. then, I, you know, then I thought about kids and I was like, little lights. And it's just kind of caught on. I was like, there's an alliteration there. And then I thought about the song, you know, This Little Light of Mine. I'm like, yeah, that's the right, that's the right name. Yeah, so I noticed somebody on a video singing that. Oh, really? On, online. Yeah. yeah, one of your, the people here, I don't know if it's an employee or someone oh, that really? you serve in the local neighborhood. That's <laughs> yeah. really cute. It's a great song, too. So, so you're, this is a family affair here. Yes. You have your wife working with you. Yes. So she got involved how many years ago? That was quite a while back? Yeah, so Little Light started in 95. She came and volunteered as a camp counselor, summer day camp counselor, in 1998. And so um, I got to know her through her volunteering, and, and we hit it off, and uh, we started dating. And so a couple of years after that, uh, we got married. And yeah, now we uh, raise our family. We got two kids, live in Anacostia in D.C. Um, and uh, she's full-time, you know, she, she's really the boss around here. I just, you know, <laughs> I just do the interviews. <laughs> no. That's great. <laughs> So, some, so tell us about some of the earliest activities and programs yeah. at Little Lights. I, I read something about Camp Heaven back mm -hmm. in 1997 you kicked off. Yeah, so we uh, started out as an after-school tutoring program in Northwest on 14th Street. And uh, starting in 1997, we started doing Camp Heaven, which was a summer day camp. Uh, so we actually recruited a lot of college students to come and sort of live together in community um, and run these summer day camps. Um, so it was mostly college students who were running these summer camps. Call it Camp Heaven. Uh, we changed it to Summer Lights a number of years later. We, we kind of changed our model. We actually hire more people from the community now rather than have a lot of college students come in during the summer. Part of that is my wife and I had kids and we didn't have the energy to basically do ministry 24 hours a day <laughs> or 24-7 with college students. Uh, so, you know, we changed our model a bit and it's called Summer Lights, but we like the fact that we're providing more jobs in the community. We have Department of Employment Services st students, high school, college students coming to work for us, but you know, getting paid through the, the government program. And then we have high school groups that come out and volunteer uh, during the camp as well. And so, yeah. So, so tell us about the neighborhoods that you work in. Yeah, um, so. What are some of the things that the children face, some of the challenges? Yeah, I mean, uh, we now work at Potomac Gardens and Hopkins Public Housing. Uh, their government housing. The average income of those two properties is approximately nine, nine to $10,000 per year per family. So imagine living in D.C., trying to raise a family in D.C. on less than $10,000 a year. Uh, obviously, it's very challenging. There's a lot of gaps. There's a lot of needs. And then, you know, most of our, 
uh, students you know, come from single-parent uh, uh, homes. And so um, there's a lot of challenges. Uh, so a lot of times parents will have to decide, you know, do we pay the phone bill this month? Do we buy the extra groceries? Do we pay for the school, school uniform? I mean, there's a lot of decisions to make when you have such limited resources. And so we try to provide that safety, help provide some of that safety net, you know, help provide backpacks, help provide free meals. We provide thousands of free meals every year uh, with a partnership with the food bank. We um, provide that extra tutoring help. We provide, try to provide mentors. So trying to fill in gaps because we know the needs are so tremendous. And, um, and you know, we don't want the kids to go hungry at night. We don't want the kids to only have, you know, one meal a day. Um, so we try to provide whatever we can to support families, to help kids and families try to break out of the cycle of poverty, you know, graduate high school, stay out of um, stay out of trouble as much as possible. It's a challenge because there's a street culture that is very hopeless and self-destructive and um, uh, feels very marginalized even though, you know, the public housing is 12 blocks from the U.S. Capitol where yeah. there's senators and congressmen making these important decisions about the economy. And But just 12 blocks away, there are families that just f have felt so out of touch with the mainstream society that there's a real sense of despair and um, especially among young people there's a lot of despair and so we try to bring the gospel try to bring grace that compassion to say there's hope there are people who care um, we know life is tough but we're here to support we're here to be a friend great uh, just a quick break let you take a breather here sure. uh, you're listening to grace in 30 on WERA LP Arlington 96.7 FM we're talking with Steve Park, the founder and executive director of Little Lights, a DC-based nonprofit that provides services to underserved youth and their families in Washington, DC. Um, you mentioned once when we were talking on the phone about some of the children come in, they, they come from this culture, and they come in and there might, be, there might be some anger there and some difficulty, and then there's sort of this transformation. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, you, know, you know, one of the things I think that's valued sometimes in their schools is toughness. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like over toughness. It's like you have to act, kind of be angry and be ready to fight because um, you know if if you look weak, you might get picked on, you might get bullied, and you know you, you might get into more fights if you don't look and act tough. And um, so sometimes kids will come with that anger. You know maybe things aren't good at home, things aren't good at school, so they come in with anger. They don't trust maybe adults. They don't trust. Um, you know, sometimes le you know leaders even around them, and so you know, as an after-school program, we really try to be relational. We try to get to know the kids. We ask how they're doing. We check in with them. We uh, have personal conversations with them, often one-to-one, -one, and just ask how they're doing and just develop that trust. But at the same time, setting very clear boundaries, very clear rules about what's expected, and and following through with consequences. And so we've had to use timeout, we've had to use positive reinforcement, we've had to sometimes send kids home because they're wanting to fight. And, but we're persistent. We are persistently firm, but also compassionate. So we are highly relational and they know that, they, over time they realize that we genuinely do care and that we're going to persist. And, um, 
Do you see this as something that's unique about what you guys do here? Because I was going to talk no. a little bit about that, how you've got these tailored curriculums for yeah. each of the children and how you really care and track them. And Yeah. You know, I'm sure we're not unique, but I think it's not done everywhere. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one benefit of being an after-school program is there's more time to just get to know the kids. You know, if you have one teacher with 30 students or 25 students, it's very difficult to have personal conversations, you know, with every student as a teacher. Um, but because we're an after-school program, we, we, you know, we have a very strong adult-to-child ratio. So oftentimes it'll be one adult or you know, teen to uh, three or four kids. And for reading and math programs, that's one-to-one. -one. So there's a lot of personal attention. So I think that does make us fairly unique that even most after-school programs don't have that level of kind of one-to-one attention uh, that we provide. And so... Um, I think there is a unique, I, mean, I know other programs that do it as well, but having a high quality program is something that we really aspire to and we, we really try to have a high standard for our programs. Yeah, watching some of the videos online, I, I saw some of the moms talking and, yeah. and they were very emotional and very thankful for what you do. Yeah. And they talked about, you know, this combination of child, parent and community support, mm -hmm. which is very unique. Yeah. You know, and, this, and, and tr taking children yeah. from an early age all the way through college and yeah. beyond. Yeah. Maybe tell us a story or two. We talked a little bit about Dwayne on the yeah. phone. Yeah. You know, you've been, you've been in this 20 years. Yeah. So you met some people when they were four and seven. <laughs> you've watched them become 20 and graduate from college and go yeah. on to become adults. Yeah. Give us a, a story or so about. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of stories. I mean, Dwayne is you know, definitely one where we met him when he was about eight years old. He came to our summer camp. And, um, you know, he obviously, you know, he did not have an easy childhood. You know, when he was born, he, both his parents were incarcerated. And as, as a baby, he, he was born addicted to drugs because his mom was uh, addicted. And so statistically, he almost had no shot. But, you know, he was raised by his grandmother in Potomac Gardens. He started coming to Little Lights very early age, came to our summer program, joined, joined our choir. Um, he was the only boy that when we took our choir, we got a grant to go to California and he, he got to go. He was the only boy in the choir, but he, he was faithful. You know, he loved music. He loved sports. Um, he and, there and, I, and there were ups and downs, like, uh, yeah. like any boy, right? Yep, yep, especially through the teenage, you know, teenage years. Uh, you know, he has a good smile, so the girls liked him, you know, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, but he, you know, by and large, he stayed out of trouble, and, and partly, you know, him being part of Little Lights, also his focusing on sports and playing sports, and um, he, he stayed out of the wrong crowd and made, made some good decisions. Eventually graduated high school, went to college, and uh, eventually gradu graduated from Liberty University in Virginia, um, uh, majored in psychology and I think sports marketing. And, um, and now he's, you know, came back to the D.C. area and we supported him as he transitioned back, provided him a part-time job while he looked for a full-time job. Eventually got a job with a local nonprofit that works at Wheaton High School helping kids at Wheaton High School now go mm -hmm. to college themselves. And so now he's serving others to help other kids go to college because he's, he's, he overcame those challenges. And then last year I had the privilege of attending his wedding. He's married a beautiful uh, bride and, and they just announced that they're expecting and so they'll be having their first child you know, in a few months. Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, and he, yeah, he's very committed to- And that's just to, one of many. Yes, one of many. And, 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 and uh, it's amazing, you, you're like there for graduations <laughs> and all these milestones in their lives and sometimes yeah. their family just simply isn't there. Yeah. You, you guys are the ones supporting them. Yeah, I mean, his, you know, you know, Dwayne had extended family who also supported him, but being that extra support, being the extra mentoring support, um, 
you know, makes, makes a big difference in these kids' lives. Having caring adults just can be the, be the difference in many of these kids' lives. And yeah. so, yeah there's, a, yeah, there's a lot of great stories. And heartbreak, too, because it's, it, you know, there's challenges. There, there's tragedies that happen. I mean, we, we've gone to funerals of kids who've mm. grown up on our program. So I don't want to paint a rosy picture that it's always good news. Um, but, yeah, there, we've seen a lot of great kids come out of our program and do great things. But overall, though, do you see a, a transformation in these communities that, that you've you know, somehow has attributed to some of the work you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's... You know, when you have this kind of commitment and then have resources behind it, uh, it changes the environment. I mean, people feel less marginalized. I mean, even just recently, I went to go visit another public housing that doesn't have a program as, as with the kind of the resources and the staffing as Little Lights, and just walked around and met kids in this neighborhood, a new neighborhood that I wasn't as familiar with, and just, you could sense the difference, the sense of uh, despair, even among young children, a sense of like, almost being a little bit on their own where they're kind of wandering around together but you know they look kind of directionless and and you can see the yeah the kind of the anger in their even in their face at a young age and um, just kind of broke my heart that there's not every neighborhood has programs like this and I could see even the difference in the kids faces compared to our kids so, so you do these programs for the kids, but you're also doing some other things now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I read yes. about a landscaping business that yes. you guys have started, and there's the diaper program. Mm -hmm. and, and also, you mentioned to me on the phone that you're the number one job provider in the low-income housing community, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit about some of these programs. Pick one sure. or two to highlight. Sure. Yeah. I mean, these programs sort of evolved over time because we recognized that just working with the kids you know, at a young age wasn't enough. And so we started hiring teenagers, so we, 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 hire, we try to hire as many teens and young adults and adults from the community as we can because jobs are really scarce. And we want to provide an inroad for people to start working. And um, so for many of these teens and even adults, you know, we're like their first job. And so they help out with our after-school program, they help out with our summer program. Uh, they help with the cooking, they help with cleaning. They, I mean, they play many different roles within the organization. And so we, you know, more than 25 teens and young adults, you know, work for us, uh, mostly part-time. Um, and that includes our landscaping business. We have a social enterprise called the Clean Green Team mm -hmm. that a little bit of uh, write-up in the Washington Post, you know, last year. And so it's like a group of eight guys we have a contract with DC Housing to do the landscaping work at those two apartment complexes, Potomac Gardens and Hopkins. We've started doing a lot of private homes, especially in the Capitol Hill area in DC, to provide jobs, provide job training. You know, some guys have criminal records. You know, they made mistakes when they were younger, but they're trying to get their life back on track. And when you have a criminal record, it's really difficult to find work. It's difficult to find work, but if you have some kind of criminal records, it's even more difficult. So giving guys a, a second chance, you know, some of the some of these guys are so hardworking. They show up to work on time every single day. They they have to work in the heat, you know, doing land. This is not easy work, but they show up faithfully. They have pride in what they're doing, um, and and they've really turned their lives around. And so it's really a, been a blessing to provide jobs. And so that's been a big part of our ministry. And then with the family center, we provide f thousands of f five thousand free diapers a month for the community. Wow! Partnering with the diaper bank, we help people with their resumes to help look for work. 
We have a high-speed computer lab because most of the families don't have a high-speed internet at home. So providing a computer lab where they can do job searches, where they try to find resources that they, you know, you, you know in our day and age, a lot of resources and even job applications have to be done online. And so giving adults access to a high-speed computer lab, you know, has been great. Yeah, it's excellent. I, I used to work for, volunteer for a group called the Computer Learning Center Partnership oh, okay. in Fairfax County. Oh, okay. And so they would go into the underserved communities there yeah. and set up computer centers, which okay. was the, the same concept. Oh, yeah. You've got to have access to these tools. Yes, they're very important. So another quick break for Steve. Uh, again, you're listening to Grace in 30 on WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. We're talking to Steve Park, the founder and executive director of Little Lights, a DC-based nonprofit that provides services to underserved youth and their families in Washington, DC. Um, I know that you want to reach kids and families, just the neighborhood, with more of God's compassion and love. And there's not a lot of neighborhoods that have these sort of programming, mm -hmm. uh, programs that do mentoring and tutoring, things like this. Um, do you have any expansion plans, or, mm -hmm. or do you have you know, sort of notions, things you'd like to do and see this spread in some way? And, yeah. and if so, what are they? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we love to have programs like Little Lights or, you know, have programs in almost every low-income neighborhood in the city. Um, right now, we're actually just about to open up a new space that's another space in Hopkins uh, Public Housing in Capitol Hill. It's uh, on, four, it's, we call it the 1430 space, and that's on 1430. 1430 Center. Uh, 1430 Center, okay. uh, and that's on L Street Southeast, and it's inside of uh, uh, Hopkins, and so that's going to be a program for younger students, like pre-K to third grade, kids who will have a tough time walking the quarter mile to our other site. So providing a safe right in the uh, apartment complex so the kids can walk safely right into the space. DC Housing is providing the space for free. We got a small grant to help refurbish it and, and put equipment. And now we're about to start programs there this summer, so this will be the first time. So a whole new group of kids, 20 to 25 kids, will start programs this summer. And to experience, yeah, God's love right in their own apartment building in, the, in this community. And then we're also praying, and our board of directors and our staff, we're praying about expanding east of the Anacostia River soon uh, to Benning Heights neighborhood. There's a public housing there called Benning Terrace. So we're praying about having enough resources to expand in east of the river. But, you know, we're, we're, we want to be sustainable. We don't want to just start something and close it down because we don't have the resources after a year or two. So we're patiently waiting for the right timing for adequate support to start something east of the river. Are you working with anybody? Like, you know, I just saw Michael Smith, I think his name is. He's with My Brother's Keeper on the okay. Obama administration. Uh -huh. and, and they're trying to work on programs like you know, people that are incarcerated, they have these yeah. check boxes on job applications that right. they've been arrested for something and, and they can't find work. Yeah. Are, are you talking to anybody locally, you know, sort of teaming with folks to see if you can start expanding more swiftly or? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, honestly, resources are scarce for almost everybody. And so most of the people I collaborate with, you know, are struggling with resources themselves. And so I help facilitate a, a minister's fellowship called the Servant Leaders Fellowship of East Washington. And so there's a group of us ministers. We com come together, we collaborate, we discuss. But we're all kind of, you know, struggling for resources because it's, it's not always easy to come by. But we do have great partners. We have church partners. We have foundation partners. Uh, you know, almost 50% of our um, uh, donations come from individual donors. So we have amazing monthly donors, uh, people who are partnering with us. Um, 
but we, you know, we, we need more if we want to expand and really be sustainable in a new neighborhood for a long time. And so that's something we're praying about. So what would you like our listeners to know about these children, yeah. these neighborhoods, the families that are here? Yeah. You know, that, you know, don't just believe the stereotypes. You know, don't just look at the news and say, oh, wow, there was another shooting there in that, in, in that part of town. Um, there's some amazing kids. I mean, with beautiful hearts. I mean, they just have so much love in their hearts. I mean, you, some of the kids are the most hospitable children you'll ever met. So they'll welcome in new strangers. They'll welcome in new tutors with hugs and, and uh, smiles. And, and um, so a lot of these kids have just great love in their hearts and great and great faith, you know, many of them will volunteer to pray and want to pray and pray for their families, pray for their communities. Um, but the, the, there are needs and there are, they need caring adults in their lives. They need people to invest in them. And, and there's a real shortage of resources in their communities. And so it, um, it really taints their future and it, it, their vision for the future. It's feeling, oh, you know, most of my family members aren't working. or most of, Nobody in my family has ever gone to college. You know, why would I expect to go to college? And so those types of things can creep in and, and, um, and cause these obstacles. And so... Uh, and what about the parents? Yeah. And the moms and the dads and... Yeah. Uh, you know, they care about their children. They want what's good for their children, but, you know, some of them do struggle with depression and a sense of hopelessness. Um, you know, many of them feel like, oh, you know, I failed, you know, I didn't graduate from college. I didn't, some of them maybe didn't graduate from high school, and so they, they're already feeling discouraged, and then they're trying to raise a family on these limited resources, and, and, um, and so we want to try to support them, and they need support, you know, they, they need people to care about them and, and not give up on them and not just judge them as, uh, you know, being lazy or uh, there's just something wrong with you. Um, yeah, I think that's a key thing. We talked about grace, yeah. which is, you know, unearned yeah. and unmerited and an unwavering expression of service and love. Yes. And that's what you're doing. You're not coming in and saying, oh, mm -hmm. you know, people, some of them fall on hard times. Yeah. Sometimes they did make a bad decision, but yeah. we all do. Yeah. And maybe they had more serious consequences. So. Yeah. This is really, yeah. in a sense, how you extend grace in this neighborhood. Absolutely. I mean, I personally experienced grace after going through my very dark period, and it wasn't earned. And, um, and I know that it changed my life experiencing grace. And so I want other people to experience the same thing and realize, you know what? You don't have to deserve it to experience love. Because you're made in the image of God, you're already loved. You know, and, and God already loves you. So that's the message we try to communicate. Yeah, it reminds me of a song we sing at services. Everyone <laughs> needs forgiveness. Everyone needs compassion. That song just cuts me to the heart. <laughs> it's, it's so true. It's we so all do. true. And when you receive that yes. unconditional like that, you want to express it and extend yes. it to others. So. Yes, it's powerful. So I, I talked to you before. I mean, we'd like to issue a call to action yes. to our listeners. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's sort of a general call to everyone who's yes. listening. And then certain people might be resonating. They might be hearing about this ministry and thinking, yeah. hey, I'd like to get involved in this or something like it. Yeah. What sort of call to action or calls to action would you like to issue? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to get involved. But, you know, we need people to get to be involved and, and uh, engage. And so our website is littlelights.org. There's a lot of volunteer opportunities. There's ways to support financially. There are uh, ways to get on a prayer list or just get on an email list or get on our Facebook page just to be informed about what we're doing. And even if you don't feel called right now, maybe later on, you know, you'll, you'll feel that 
call to action and, and act on it. Maybe even also we had a gentleman named Milton Brown who was homeless yes. on eight weeks ago, and he yeah. just talked about just talk to the homeless. Yeah. Just, just interact with them. Don't be judgmental or look yeah. down on them. Yeah. Get to know them. You don't unless you know their story. How yeah. can you? Is there the same sort of message to people who come across these families, or they yeah. see them in some interaction or passing on the street? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's I think it's learning how to see you know people through the eyes of Christ because I think the way you see strangers and the way you see the vulnerable is in many ways the way we actually see ourselves and. And if we're not extending grace to others, in some ways we're actually hurting ourselves and we're limiting even grace to ourselves because we're all broken, we're all vulnerable. And if we judge those who are broken and vulnerable, in many ways we're actually judging ourselves. And so, you know, compassion um, is what I think really changes the world and changes people. And uh, whether it's at Little Lights or whether it's you know, someplace closer to where you live, I think um, compassion is, is what really changes things. That's a great note to end on. <laughs> um, Steve, thank you so much for having us uh, entertain you, bring you on the show here. Um, we really appreciate what you and your wife and the organization are doing. Um, for listeners who want to find out more about Little Lights, please visit them at littlelights.org on the web. We'll also be posting information on our Facebook and Twitter pages at Grace in 30. Uh, if you know someone locally or nationally who would be a great guest for our show, please contact us at gracein30 at gmail.com, and you're also welcome to send us feedback there. A recording of the show can be found on WERA's website typically 24 hours after the show is aired, as well as on our gracein30.com website. This is Ed Mellick signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace. <laughs>